I'm Martin Reeves, Chairman of the BG Henderson Institute. Welcome to our Thinkers and Ideas podcast, where we discuss important new books and ideas in business. Joining me today is Kirsten Ferguson. Kirsten is an award-winning author, company director, columnist, and focuses on leadership. She was recognized this year as a member of the Order of Australia, very prestigious award for her contributions to business and gender equality. And today she's here to discuss her new book, Head and Heart, The Art of Modern Leadership, which was published by Barrett Culler Publishers in September. It's been named by Thinkers 50 as one of the best management books of 2023. So I'm looking forward to discussing that with her. Thank you for joining me today, Kirsten, and congratulations on the book. Thank you, Martin. It's wonderful to be with you. So probably more has been written about leadership in business than any other topic. And, you know, a cynic might ask, why do we need another book on, on leadership? So sorry to start off with such an aggressive question, but um, why did you feel compelled, nevertheless, knowing this, that we need another book on leadership? Oh, I am as big a cynic as you, don't worry. And in fact, I opened the book with pointing out the fact there's 60,000 books on leadership on Amazon right now, which is insane, really. There can't be 60,000 different ideas. So I am as well aware of that as, as anyone. One of the reasons I wanted to write the book is what I find when I read many leadership books with my cynics hat on is that they're either written by people who haven't had any leadership experience themselves and have lovely lofty theories about how things can work when you're actually leading or else they have led but it's all anecdote based and you know it's very much their own experiences which sometimes don't apply. I guess I feel pretty unique in that I've been in both positions. So I do have a PhD in leadership and culture and done plenty of research and the book is based on research. But I've also been a senior leader. So I've chaired the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. I sit on large company boards. I'm still sitting on publicly listed boards. I've been the CEO of a global consulting firm. I started my career in the military of all things. So I certainly have been leading myself for 30 years. And what I wanted to do was try and bring together the important foundation you have to have around research, because I think that really is what gives any leadership work its credibility, but with a big dose of reality of like, this stuff's not easy. Given those excellent qualifications, let's let's jump in then. So maybe before <laughs> jumping into your theory of leadership, one of the nice features of your book is you, you give a sort of a historical survey of, of leadership, you know, how ideas about leadership evolved. So can you give us a, a short potted history of how ideas about leadership have evolved and, and where your framework fits in? Yeah, I thought my first degree was in history, Martin, so I couldn't resist but put in a chapter around the history of leadership. And for me, it all goes back to a guy called Thomas Carlyle in the 18th century who came up with the great man theory. And this was this idea that really leadership was for those who it was bestowed upon through birth and title and position and authority. And that has continued, obviously, in a different form. But it essentially is this idea that we see leaders as someone other than ourselves. It's this sort of great men. And for a very long time, it was only men and, and only white men at that. But life has changed. And that view of leadership, I think, has persisted when we see leaders who still believe in command and control and believe that respect comes with their position and they see leadership as an entitlement and not a privilege. And so, I mean, in a potted history, that's where it all stems back to. And the modern study of leadership is actually pretty recent. And ideas like servant leadership and transformational leadership, they're all been in this for the last 30, 40 years. So I think we've seen a now even a new turning point, especially since the pandemic. 
as you've said, there are some ideas about leadership which are not the great man theory. There's humble leadership and there's transformational leadership. There's the idea of crisis leadership. There's the idea of collective leadership. So step us through some of the modern evolution of the ideas in leadership and, and tell us why nevertheless there was a hole that you felt you needed to fill. There is literally every kind of leadership. Just think of a word and add leadership to the end and you've got some kind of version of leadership. And there's nothing wrong with any of them. I think all of them have a place. Crisis leadership is, I and mean, I've experienced leading in, in a very public crisis. You need a very different type of way to lead, but then servant leadership is going to be important or transformational leadership when you try to sort of build different cultures. What I wanted to do was to say all of those are important, but the art of modern leadership is knowing what's needed and when. And I think some leaders or many leaders struggle to adjust their leadership style or to even look in the mirror and ask, is my style of leadership still fit for purpose? So they may be adjusting and you know going between servant and crisis leadership, but is it still working in 2023, come 2024? where we don't have everyone in the office with us, we're dealing with new generations that are not interested in some of those old styles of leadership. So this was a a model that really brings everything together. And I used a metaphor that we all understand, head and heart, there's no science to it, certainly not literal. But it really acknowledges that the head-based leadership attributes of being technically capable and being able to be curious and make really fast decisions and do them well is incredibly important. It's not enough to just do those, though. You also need to be able to lead with humility and self-awareness and courage and empathy. I just find that many leadership books will dig deep into one of those, and that's not helpful. For me, it's all about the balance, and the art is knowing what's needed and when. So let's dig into that sort of core head and heart type of dichotomy that you talk about. And you list eight attributes. Maybe you could step through the head attributes and then the heart attributes. So under, under head, you've got the critical attributes of curiosity, wisdom, perspective, and capability. So what's your point of view there? Yeah. So for example, curiosity, no brainer. I mean, most of us would say, of course, curiosity has to be an important attribute for leaders. However, the research shows that even though all of us, 92% of us think it's valuable, only 24% of us get to feel curious at work. So then that's my point around curiosity. It's easy to say, yes, it's important, but clearly it's not translating into how we're leading through curiosity. So that's one of them. And these are all based on the research I did. I'm an adjunct professor at Queensland University of Technology. Wisdoms around decision-making and doing that particularly in the face of little information. Perspective was the attribute that actually correlates the most highly with all eight we're going to talk about, and that's reading a room. And so if anyone takes anything from this podcast, the idea that you need to be able to read a room and pick up the signals about what's going on in that room and notice who's missing from the room is critically important. And capability is all about growth mindset and obviously being able to do what you do, but also believing you can. So they're the head-based attributes, and we love them. But this is what we get promoted for. It's what we get pay rises on. It's what we did well at school. It's all that technical, tangible stuff. As you say, that sounds sensible and and familiar. But just as with curiosity, you you pointed out to a little imperfection, which is we like it, but we're not doing it. Anything else you'd point out about the head attributes in terms of being a, a surprise or a twist? Yeah, look, I think there's many, and obviously we don't have time to go through them all today. But as I mentioned, perspective is really important, and I think, again, it's one we take for granted that we can walk into a room and feel comfortable and, and know what's going on. 
but it's understanding what room you're in is a challenge for some people. It's, you know, it might be your organization, it might be your industry, but it could be wider than that. And this important idea of making sure that when I said you notice who's missing from the room, you're also noticing which voices are missing. And if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're going to have a big blind spot around this critically important attribute. So let's maybe spend a little more time digging into the heart attributes, which are less represented in the literature. So you have humility, self-awareness, courage, and empathy. I mean, they sound like things that you maybe have or don't have. They sound like they might be fairly hardwired. You also assert in the book that these are all learnable to some extent. Tell us about how to, to improve these attributes if we don't necessarily have them in excess. See, I believe that everyone does have them. They may just not bring them to work. And this goes back to that history question about what's ingrained in us, that we certainly need to be a a type of leader in our workplace environment. And I'm asking that we rethink that because let's be really stereotypical. There might be an older employee who's always just focused on their job and KPIs and deliverables, and there's no place for empathy at work. And we all know leaders that actually are pretty well, we might think lacking in empathy. But when you see them outside of work, perhaps with their grandchildren, with their children, they have empathy. They understand what empathy is. They just don't bring it to work. So I believe all of us have these attributes in some fashion. Certainly they can be practiced and empathy is a muscle that we can practice by exposing ourselves to those situations. But I am encouraging leaders to bring that to work because all of those skills, that humility you have when you're at home because you've, you've done something in your family which wasn't ideal and you know you've, you know you've got to repair that that is a perfect attribute to bring to work when similarly there's a mistake and you need to be able to say actually I've got this wrong but I'd love to you know work with you guys to help fix it self-awareness of understanding the impact you're having on those around you courage is this ability to speak up for what we believe in even in the face of pressure not to do so and then of course empathy. So it's more a matter of understanding that those core tenets of what makes us human are just as important as the attributes of the head, which are those tangible outputs that we produce every day. But the balance is what matters and understanding what is needed when. And if you think, Martin, you've been in meetings where it's been all about your capability and understanding the technical and industry issues that you're dealing with, But on a dime, the tone of that meeting can change when you realize it's going down a different path or perhaps you've said something that, you know, isn't helpful for a customer or a client, you're starting to backtrack. You're going to need a huge amount of humility and self-awareness of the impact and some empathy for what you've done and having that awareness to know, okay, this is how I've got to read this room now and this is what I've got to apply. That is the essence of a modern leader. So these traits you have, I guess they they all seem very plausible, but there are many other words that one might have expected to see in the list. So maybe take us through the the research basis for this. You said that this list is based on some research that you've done. Tell us about that research. And in particular, I'm curious about what was the objective function? You know, how did you know that something was good as opposed to merely prevalent or highly appraised? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, this list could be 100 items long. We know that. That's not practical. So I needed to be practical in coming up with what I wanted to be able to present. So in the research, we had an original list of 54 items and went out to a sample group of 1,000 people. So I've created what's called a Head and Heart Leader Scale. Anyone can go and do it. Just visit headheartleader.com, totally free. 
But when we created that scale, I did it with a professor at QUT, what we did was started with 54 items and then started looking at what correlates with what and what had the most relationship with different indicators and different ideas. And that's how we were able to narrow it down. But obviously, some of these are very broad. So self-awareness, I end up looking at within that, you know, the ability to take feedback, what it means to be triggered. You know, there's a whole range of different sub areas that come within these. But practically, I was able to narrow it down to eight through the research. And I should point out, more than 16,000 people have done the Head Heart Leader Scale just since January. So we've now got an enormous database and I've been able to analyze how it applies to gender and whether there's any material difference between men and women. There isn't. I did assume that perhaps women might self-identify as more heart-based and men more head-based. There's that history and ingrained notions, but there's no material difference whatsoever. And coming back to the objective function, I mean, you, you had to sort of say that some of these potential traits were more important than others. What were you looking at for the objective function? Were you looking at people's assessment of important traits of leaders? Was it perceived importance to leadership or something else? It was a mix of qualitative and quantitative analysis. So it was qualitative in the sense that I was obviously determining what kind of attributes I expected could be important for a modern leader. And that's how we got to the items of 54. And so, you know, I didn't put in qualities of dictatorial command and control because that wasn't one that I expected would be important. So I guess even in the methodology, there was some self-selection in thinking about what kind of qualities would we expect to want to see. And you're essentially asking the, the survey takers? Yeah, which of these related to you? And there were some that just weren't. But these clearly were. These eight ended up being the most highly scored and correlating between each other so that we could create a scale. Any surprises from the research? Anything that you expected to see that was less important than you thought? Yes, wisdom always scores the lowest. So I said we've now got 16,000 as a decent sample size. I think wisdom's one, it scores low. It's my number eight. So if you do the scale, it's not that you don't have it. It's just obviously an area you could focus on. And I know for me, it means that I'm very good at making decisions, but I often make them very quickly without thinking about consequences or weighing up the data and evidence. And and that's one that I think is common for people. I think we're fast paced and we're being expected to make decisions quite quickly and we're perhaps not practicing that skill as much. Curiosity always scores the highest, but yet, as we spoke about earlier, it's one that we're not necessarily translating into the organizations we work in. Earlier on in, in our conversation, you emphasized that one of your real messages was the contingency of knowing what to play up and down in a, in a given situation. Tell us about that. Is, is that one of the skills? Is that essentially the same thing as reading the context or is that something else? No, they are. It is different. So this idea of knowing what's needed when, that is the hardest thing to train, if you can call it that, and to learn because it's trial and error. So perspective's much more about a moment in time and really bringing in the signals. If, you know, you and I are talking now, we're both reading different signals and thinking about, okay, how's the conversation going? And it's quite a context-driven process. That art of knowing what's needed when is a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of getting feedback when you get it wrong. It's also trusting your gut. It's much harder. So when people have asked, how do you learn that? That's the area where I think, you know, 
you and I with some grey hairs have had the scar tissue of getting it wrong to know, okay, this is what I'm going to have to do differently next time. But I think even for younger people who are just starting the workforce, they're learning as they go in every day. But that art is the most important aspect of knowing how to lead as a modern leader today. So either on the A traits and or this sort of adapting to the circumstances dimension, what can an individual practically do to grow and hone the right behaviors and and skills? What's the self-learning frame here? Yeah, I look, there's so many different examples we could give, but I use an example in the book of a person I had been coaching and they were at one of the big four firms, a partner, very senior, very technically capable, head-based leadership, they had it down pat. Heart-based, they were really struggling. And one of the examples they would use is that they would have a meeting with their team, they were setting you know, where the next project was going to go, coming up with a project plan for the client. And they would find that they always did all the talking. And even though they were asking questions of their team, absolutely no one was providing feedback and they were frustrated about that. And, of course, thought about it as the team being perhaps incapable of stepping up. We got them to practice something different and actually go in there with a whole heap of humility and say, I think perhaps it's because I'm providing the solutions, you know, and and I'm... I'm aware that because I'm taking up the space in these meetings, I'm not giving you space and they ask for feedback from the team. They used a heap of empathy around how it must feel for the the team when they've got this very capable partner who's in there. And, And so that was just a very minor example of the outcome, in fact, became better because this leader was able to really draw on all of those qualities they would not have thought was actually appropriate in that situation. And in the end, the team was able to give them feedback, which is terrific, about how the meetings actually, they had always just sat down and thought, well, there's no point saying anything because they're just going to do it their way anyway. Now, that's a very basic example, but it is a way of balancing your head and your heart. The outcome is the same. Yes, it's quicker if you're really experienced to just do it yourself, but the impact will be that your team's not learning and you're taking up all the space. A broader question, if I may, this is not the main topic of your book, but uh, as an expert in leadership, recently we were doing some analysis on public companies and we we saw a a dramatic aging of leaders on average. The the average age of CEOs is increasing and also, of course, it's being discussed in in politics too. Um, I'm not sure this is a peculiarly US phenomenon. Do you see an aging of the leadership demographic and is that a problem? Are leaders sort of somehow hogging on to power too much and do we need to refresh and replenish leadership by making spaces for the younger people? Yeah, that's very interesting to hear that as I'm aging as well, (laughs) it's harder for us to look in the mirror and say, uh, yeah, it's actually us that's hogging power. I suspect for generations, people have been reluctant to let go of power and there's been younger generations saying, you know, it's time to give us a go. I do think we need diversity of opinion, obviously, and there's a lot of focus on gender, but it certainly needs to be a focus on age as well. And I think, you know, as you and I are aging, being able to have that self-awareness of perhaps, you know, things aren't how they always were and that my opinions now and my views on how things need to be done are not necessarily shared by everyone else around me. I mean, that's what's more important to me. If you have an older leader who's very much seeking the feedback from those they work with and collectively leading their organisation, I don't think that's an issue. But 
you can also have a younger person who's pretty power hungry and and not listening to anyone else. And I think that's much more relevant than uh, age. It's probably obligatory to touch briefly on AI, given the pace of developments there. AI, none of us know how this will pan out, but the the promise, the idea is that this will substitute and complement and uh, change the nature of the contribution of the human brain to work. Do you have any speculations or thoughts about how it might change the art of leadership? Yes. In fact, I've just spent the last month, I'm in the US at the moment, on this book tour, and I spoke at Oracle's Cloud World, a very large conference in Vegas, and earlier this week spoke at another tech conference in LA. And what struck me is AI is absolutely on everyone's lips. It's the topic du jour, and we're all very excited about its capabilities. I think we're going to need a different type of leader, and leadership's almost going to be the glue that holds all the technology together because the leadership you and I have just been talking about, particularly the heart-based attributes, are never going to be replaced by AI. So if anything, I think it's more important than ever that we're really understanding that AI is a tool and it's fabulous and wonderful and it's going to do amazing things. But when you see some of the leadership practices it will replace, like even your annual performance reports, you know, AI can write those for you. If you're a leader that then just flicks that off to your team and says, here's your AI written, or it's obvious it's AI written performance report, you're going to have a whole new leadership issue. So we've got to make sure that this putting people at the centre and human-centred leadership and this head and heart idea of modern leaders remains pivotal, even more so in the face of AI. So I'm excited about AI. I think it's wonderful. However, we need to be really conscious of how we're leading through that as well. So unfortunately, our time is nearly up. But let me ask you in closing, is there a next big project in the works <laughs> or next topic that you're researching? There is. I've signed um, another book deal with my publisher, Penguin. So I'm working on that at the moment. And then there's lots of other exciting things that are coming out from, from this work. And, and may I ask roughly what that's, that's about? <laughs> no, you may not. <laughs> uh, but it uh, promises to be another exciting read. There you go. Okay. Well, uh, you've you keep us waiting on, on that one then. We'll have to have you, have you back to discuss that one. I'd love that. So congratulations on the book and thanks very much for joining me, Kirsten. Thank you, Martin. It was great to be with you. I've been discussing Head and Heart, The Art of Modern Leadership, which came out from Barrett Kohler Publishers in September 23 by Kirsten Ferguson. I think a really useful synthesis of the history of thoughts in leadership and putting them in a, a modern context and also relating them to the the practicalities of executing these various traits and ideas in the workplace from a, an experienced leader herself. If you've liked this podcast, then please make sure you're subscribed to it on your favorite podcasting platform. And as always, we welcome your feedback. <laughs>